And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, here we go, starting off the week. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Jason Hutt. I am here in the studio behind the microphone number three beneath World Headquarters. How's everybody doing? It is going to be a strange week this week. A little bit of a difference in uh, in our broadcast schedule because of the holiday that's coming up. So nobody uh, nobody freak out. We'll survive it. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us. The chat is live. The comments are active. We've got an email address. We have a newsletter you can sign up for. You can find us on all the socials. And here we are. It is Monday. It is May 24th. Where does the time go? I'm, I, I, I keep looking around. I blinked, and the, the year is almost half over. Uh, and I suppose that's kind of a good thing, but, you know, then again, Maybe not. Uh, welcome to all of you who are listening to this as a podcast. We're on a number of different podcast players where you can find us. We've got listeners from all over the world, and we're glad you're here. I also see that we've got some new followers over at scififorme.com, which is the the main website. Uh, so if anybody wants to follow us over there, it's a WordPress uh, a WordPress follow, so you can you can subscribe and make sure that you don't miss whatever articles we post. I'm sure that we're getting some people over there paying attention because Mrs. Boss keeps posting uh, the updates on event changes, so schedules and whatnot, and we will continue to monitor those. We're looking at emails and social media posts and various different other places where uh, we can get the information on on changes in uh, Comic-Con schedules and uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, we do also. This is something that I don't uh, I don't talk about too terribly much, but we do have a PayPal account uh, for people who want to support us that way. I don't mention it that much, although we have had some people that have uh, taken advantage of that link and have uh, supported us at random different points in time. So that's always uh, appreciated. Uh, certainly not expected. And like I said, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't highlight it too much because it's just you know it's not something I think about, and I probably should, just because you know it would it's it's always helpful to have money to get us the resources uh, for which we need to do these things. So, uh, so there is that. There is that. Okay, so. Um, just real quick, to, coming up tomorrow on the program uh, as our guest, we're going to have uh, Captain uh, Stephen Machuga, 
who is retired from the U.S. Army. He was the founder of a nonprofit organization called Stack Up, which is um, uh, an organization to help veterans with PTSD. So we're going to be talking to him. It is Military Appreciation Month. It's also Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're going to talk to him. We've had a number of conversations about mental health on this program, especially with regard to uh, veterans. So uh, we'll have uh, Captain Machuga up here tomorrow uh, to talk about that. Okay, some random flotsam and jetsam I want to get to first, and then we'll get to our main topic. We're just kind of, since we don't have, we don't have a good morning multiverse on Saturday. So I'm going to just hit a few different news items throughout the week, and we'll see what, uh, we'll see where we are uh, by the time we get to uh, Wednesday, so. Uh, let me adjust a camera here because <sighs> autofocus is not our friend here, folks. All right. <clears throat> uh, I mentioned t- tomorrow's program tonight on H2O. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about. We've got a couple of different ideas bouncing around, so you want to tune in for that. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. And it is sure to be a brilliant conversation, no matter what topic we choose, right? All right, so uh, getting into a few things. We've got the Eternals dropping a new trailer, and it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't fuel any passion to see this movie. I'm like, well, all right, it's a thing. That's a, okay, it's a thing. Um, but some of the reaction online to this has been interesting some people looking at it going well that was boring because it kind of is it doesn't really give us anything which okay it doesn't trailers are not supposed to give away the whole plot of the movie but then i run across this and i don't remember how i how it how it managed to get into my feed this is terry terry bloss don't contact any of these people folks do not do not contact anybody Terry Blass, who is an author and illustrator, and uh, posts this reaction, quote, seeing an incredible Mexican actress, Salma Hayek, lead the Eternals and hearing her wonderful voice in the new teaser brought tears to my eyes. Is this what straight white guys feel like when they get Captain America and Iron Man and Thor and Doctor Strange and Ant-Man and Spider-Man and so and so and so and so on? Terry, let me answer your question. When we get a trailer for Captain America or Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or any of those, it does not bring tears to our eyes. We have this thing called testosterone. No, what brings tears to my eyes, just speaking personally, what brings tears to my eyes is when my son comes home with academic awards, when he comes home with medals for doing well. What brings tears to my eyes is when my son overcomes his fear of performing and gets up on stage in a play for the first time in his life. Those kinds of things. Proud Papa moments. That's what brings tears to my eyes. I could not give a rip about a trailer for a movie. Whether I have somebody who looks like me in the trailer of the movie or not, that seems to me such a minor 
thing. But that's probably just me being me. Uh, speaking of movies, it looks like uh, we're we're on our way to uh, to recovery a little bit. Here's an article here in Deadline. UK box office recovers to pre-lockdown level. Exhibitors celebrate best weekend in 14 months. So it looks like, uh, at least in the UK, things are doing better. Uh, UK government's initial lockdown was announced on March 16th. It says here, it's a hugely positive first weekend back in business for UK cinemas. Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, leading the market to north of £7 million. That's £10 million, uh, U.S. The best Friday through Sunday since cinemas were first forced to close by the pandemic in March of 2020. It's not saying much because when theaters are closed, they're not making any money. But 10, 10 million U.S., that's, uh, that's not, a bad, not a bad thing. So there is that. We've got, uh, uh, this is not genre-ish, but it's an indicator of different things. Fast, uh, Fast and Furious 9, 162.4 million offshore, the international box office. It was released a month out ahead of the U.S. release. And so it's already uh, log- clocking in 162.4 million. Meanwhile, here in the States, we've got Spiral uh, bringing the Saw franchise up over $1 billion just as a total for the franchise in general. And uh, it uh, says here, Spiral from the Saw repeats in its second frame with $1.38 million on Friday. That's down 63%. Expected three days of $4.5 million, a running total of $15.8 million. That's really low for the U.S. market. I can only hope that as we get further out into letting, uh, letting people out of their house arrest and get back to normal that maybe uh, maybe our domestic box office will be better. And then there was this. The hot tub streams apparently has become a hot topic. <clears throat> now, we made a joke on the H2O podcast here a couple of weeks ago. I played, uh, I played a, a montage of video clips, shots of various different hot tubs, empty hot tubs. But this apparently has become a really troublesome thing for Twitch. And make no mistake, this is not a tr- this is not pr- a problem for Twitch. This is Twitch advertisers. And what happened? The basic gist of it is you had several streamers. Um, Amaranth was the one that uh, called attention to it. This is how how a lot of people found out about it. Twitch had demonetized her channel over these hot tub streams. And basically what this is, you've got these people, uh, women who are scantily clad, although they still fit within the guidelines that Twitch has set up for this kind of thing. And they're sitting in their hot tubs and they're writing names all over themselves and they're playing games or they're doing whatever, but they're in a hot tub, quote unquote, even though it's in their living room or wherever. And the controversy has has many different facets. One of them is uh, Twitch demonetized a number of channels without telling them first, hey, we're going to demonetize your channel. It's just one of these things that happened out of the blue. 
there was a lot of blowback. Twitch did a mea culpa and said, nope, yep, you're right. We should have said something before we did it. That's on us. Uh, but as they move forward, they're trying to figure out how to adjust their terms of service, their community guidelines. And one of the things that they've done is set up a new category because a lot of these hot tub streams were in the just chatting category over on, on Twitch. And they don't necessarily fit that because that's kind of this general catch-all, anybody can watch anything category. And you do run the risk of people coming across that. And people are like, well, you know, I, see, I, I log into Twitch and suddenly I have all these thumbnails of girls in bikinis and people are going to wonder what I'm watching. So they're putting a new category out, and it's, uh, oh, what did they say it was? It is called Pools, Hot Tubs, and Beaches. So basically, it's a way for these streamers to categorize themselves in a, in a sort of a separate category. But it's really... It's really so that the advertisers can opt out of pools, hot tubs, and beaches. We don't want our commercials running in front of a, a hot tub stream, so how do we get rid of it? So this is more, uh, to me, it seems, and I've seen a, a, a few others talk about it this way. This is, this is on the advertising side. This is on the Amazon side. How do we make adjustments and still be able to deliver this kind of content for those who want to watch it and also give the advertisers a way that they don't leave completely and we lose their money. So this seems kind of a stopgap measure uh, in terms of how do we fix this. They're still going to do some adjustments on the on the policy side of things, but of course you've got to really be very careful how you word certain things because just because you know, I was watching, there was a, a video that, uh, Oh, what's her name? Oh, she's Aussie. Uh, she's, um, Oh, my brain just went, my, my brain just went blank. Let me, what? Oh, uh, um, I saw a I saw a video this morning from Alana Pierce. That's who it was. Alana Pierce talking about this, and I agree with her. This is uh, this is a compromise that you know takes into account that there are some of these people uh, who are streaming, uh, women who stream on Twitch who don't necessarily dress with the intent to be considered sexualizing what they do, um, you know, tank tops and T-shirts and whatnot. Uh, but then you have some that are doing the the bikinis and the hot tubs and the whatnot, and, and they're more overt, although they may not necessarily be sitting there going, you know, hey, go go look at my other my other channel. Some of them are doing that. And Twitch recognizes that just because a streamer, male or female, whoever, does a thing that viewers find sexy, it does not necessarily mean that the streamer 
is intending to create that reaction. So it's a it's a fine line. It's a minefield they got to walk through, and it'll be interesting to see how they how this plays out because it does it might affect how we move forward on Twitch um, because. They're getting a little squirrely over there. This one here, this new blog, uh, May 21st. Celebrate yourself and your community with 350-plus new tags. So Twitch is also rolling out new tags by which you can categorize your videos, your streams. And a lot of them, maybe, may, if not all of them, but a good majority of them have to do with how you identify in terms of ethnicity and gender and pronouns and all that other stuff. And I'm thinking, didn't we go through a period of time where we were trying to end segregation? I don't know. Is that just me? I, I wasn't alive back then. I was, I was born after all of this, but I thought all of this kind of got settled in the 60s. And now here we are back in the 21st century deciding to keep ourselves separate and apart from ourselves. It doesn't feel like this is progress. It feels like we're moving backwards. Backwards in a lot of this. And it just... I don't know. It just feels like it just feels like that that the wrong, you know, I I keep saying Hollywood learns the wrong lessons. I think the entertainment industry as a whole, but corporate America, all of, all of this group, all all of these companies are taking away the wrong lessons from all of this. And and a good example of this, this is a follow-up because a while back we talked about the erasure of gingers. This is an article in the Radio Times. Uh, Anne Boleyn's Thalissa Texera on why there's no colorblind casting in Channel 5 drama. Now, this is not genre, but it does relate to a topic that we talked about a while back. Because in this television production, uh, Anne Boleyn, who was one of Henry VIII's wives, is being played by... Um, being played by Jodie Turner-Smith. Jodie Turner-Smith is not white. Anne Boleyn is white. And this is an interview with Thalissa uh, Texera, who plays Madge Shelton, one of the King Henry's mistresses. And she says, Speaking exclusively to RadioTimes.com, the trigonometry actress stressed that the diverse casting in Anne Boleyn was, instead of being colorblind, identity-conscious helping to highlight how certain characters were othered by the Tudor court. Okay. And she goes on, says here, we're talking about the idea that she was different from the rest of the people in the court. This kind of othering of her, this horrible sense, awful sense of sort of witchery and witchcraft, that seems like very much an Othello storyline. Right. She continues, I think colorblind casting is actually an old, old term that we should try and eradicate really as well because I don't actually think there's such a thing because it's impossible to avoid someone's race in a story. 
And I think if you're trying to ignore the fact that we've cast those people in those roles, then you're not understanding the concept of retelling a story that goes beyond that. And we're not consciously doing a historically accurate show, of course, because otherwise the casting would look completely different. So she's basically saying, and again, this is probably just her opinion because she's in the cast. She's not part of the production team who puts this thing together. But she's acknowledging here that race swapping is agenda-driven because Anne Boleyn was not black. I got news flash for you. Those of you who think that history started when you were born, there are things like this. I mean, if you want to take a different, uh, you know, a different interpretation of fictional characters, that's one thing. You want to make Jimmy Olsen black? Okay, fine. Jimmy Olsen was a redhead forever, but he doesn't, he's not real. Anne Boleyn was a real person. There are historical representations of her. There are pictures. There are paintings that say, this was Anne Boleyn. This is what Anne Boleyn looks like. There are portraits. We know what Anne Boleyn looks like. She's a real person. Now, let me, let me, let me extend the analogy here. Let's say, because this has been in the, in, the, in the headlines and the discussions as well of late, let's say that somebody decides they want to do a new biography of Princess Diana using the new information that's been coming out here about, that, about those interviews. So let's do a new documentary about Princess Diana, but we'll have Angela Bassett play Princess Diana. On the surface of it, it's ridiculous. Why would you do that? You wouldn't. What? Well, yeah. But it's it's one of those things you just it just lights me up because it it's it's it demonstrates and it reinforces this notion that we can't just do a thing to do a thing and we can't be faithful to the source material because there is another agenda at play. And it's politically motivated, and it's connected to identity politics and critical race theory and all this other garbage that takes us back to the days of segregationists, whites only, blacks only, go sit in the back of the bus time period. Do we really want that? I get so frustrated. Now, here's something I don't think anybody asked for. Timothy Chalamet will play a young Willy Wonka in an origin story. A Willy Wonka origin story. Why? Again, Hollywood is creatively bankrupt. And speaking of which, uh, uh, on the, um, the, the Warner Brothers Discovery thing, uh, John Stanky, who's the CEO there at AT&T, basically said that they are sell- setting things up. Um, and it looks like 
We've got AT&T that's going to have 71% ownership of this new merger company thing, whatever Warner Discovery is going to be. They're going to have 71% ownership, the, the shareholders. And they're setting it up so that it is one type of stock. And some are speculating now that that's because they want to make it easier to sell that 71%. AT&T is getting out completely in the long run. That's the prediction. So Time Warner, well, I mean, Time Warner gone, but, but Warner Media, Warner Brothers Pictures, Warner Home Video, Warner Brothers Animation, DC Comics, all of the TV, TV networks they own, Cartoon Network and, and HBO Max and all of that stuff. AT&T is getting out. And... <laughs> this uh, this this surfaced over the weekend a rumor that Disney could be looking at buying DC Comics. Now this has come up before, and again it's a rumor. I don't put any credence to it. I don't I don't think that that is going to happen. If you had any company that bought DC Comics out away from the Warner umbrella. It would likely be somebody like Amazon or Netflix. It would not be Disney. Paramount, maybe, you know, Viacom, CBS, maybe, but they're in so much financial hurt right now. I don't see them buying anything. Amazon is looking to buy MGM, so it's not likely that they would be looking to buy DC Comics. But Dis Disney is not going to buy DC Comics. That wouldn't make any sense. Because Disney already has a, a viable comic book property with Marvel. And they don't need DC. And given the, the box office history and the poor uh, track record that the DC uh, movies have, it's, it's all hit and miss. It doesn't bring anything to the table. You put somebody like... Now, DC needs somebody like Kevin Feige in charge of all of it. They still haven't found that person. But once they do, if they do, then they could, you know, right the ship and start making a bunch of money. But in the meantime, they're not. And I don't think that Disney would want to take that on because they already have a franchise that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing in terms of box office performance and merchandise and all that other stuff, and it's Star Wars. Why bring on a second one of those? They, they, have, they have their hands full right now cleaning house and trying to, trying to get Lucasfilm to straighten up and fly right. And there are rumors swirling about there as well. So, uh, and of course, we have coverage of all of that. I see what I did there. Salacious Crumbs tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Uh, Mrs. Boss will be hosting in, uh, in McKenna's Place, and we will have all the latest news from the Star Wars universe. So uh, do check that out. 
And uh, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the main topic for today. Do Dazzle Dakins. And what he means for Space Jam. All of that's coming up right after this. So stand by. Thanks for watching Sci-Fi For Me TV. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You're watching Sci-Fi For Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Punch the demon face. Just punch it. Yeah, I know it's got teeth. Punch it on the head. Like, they're always like, ah, ah, no, punch it. Like, there's a little girl whose life is in danger. Do something other than just yell. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Little head-banging music. Because why not? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into our main topic here. Just, uh, just because this came across uh, this weekend, and I'm a little curious as to why. I haven't quite figured it, that part out yet. Uh, Holly Low Jones posting this. Uh, this is dated May the twentieth. And it is uh, titled A Chance for Justice, Space Jam, A New Legacy. And what this is, is a complaint uh, against Warner Brothers, like they need any more PR woes. But it's a lawsuit that's been filed against Warner Media LLC, Warner Brothers Entertainment Inc., WB Studio Enterprises, Warner Brothers Animation, Home Box Office, Redbox, Amazon, Walmart, and Best Buy. Uh, plaintiff Walter L. Lowe Jr. And what this is, is filed in uh, District Court, the Eastern District of Texas, Marshall Division, uh, filed on May 20th of 2021. It's a civil action for damages and injunctive relief. Basically, they, uh, the Lowe's, uh, Mr. Lowe, is accusing Warner Brothers et al. of violating copyright and stealing his idea and using it for Space Jam. Now, this is the first one. This is the one with Michael Jordan from way back. Hello, Matween. Good to see you in the chat. Uh, speaking of, of, of chat, uh, just wanted to give a shout out real quick to Mazer. I hope he's feeling better. He said he was having some issues uh, over the weekend. We hope that uh, that he has a speedy recovery. Uh, but this this is an interesting thing. This is a lawsuit that's being brought on now for something that apparently happened. When did when did Space Jam come out? Not. Was it was it ninety something? Okay, Mrs. Boss is looking. So what this is basically, Mr. Lowe published in 
Playboy magazine, 1984. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, Space Jam came out in 1996. Mr. Lowe published The Devil and Doodazzle Dakins in the April 1984 issue of Playboy magazine. And the story, according to the lawsuit, has a number of elements in it that ended up in Space Jam. And he he details out the path that this took. Uh, plaintiff, Walter L. Lowe Jr., is the author and copyright holder of The Devil and Doodazzle Dankins, a fictional stor- short story that was published in Playboy magazine April of 1984. On April 17, 1989, Lowe received a copyright registration for The Devil and Doodazzle Dakins, the copyright registration number, and they've attached the story as their Exhibit 1. Uh, low, and they go through his uh, his background. He's been working in newspaper. He's got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Purdue Calumet University. Uh, journalism uh, career. Spent significant time with James Baldwin on the Atlanta child murder. So basically, they're they're going through his credit, establishing his credibility here. And it says here. Um, <clears throat> At Lowe's insistence, Playboy commissioned Ernie Barnes to illustrate the story, as well as two other of Lowe's short stories published in Playboy. Mr. Barnes was the first African-American illustrator used by Playboy. Mr. Barnes, whose achievements include being named the official artist of the 1984 Olympics, later thanked Lowe for bringing him on at Playboy, acknowledging the exposure to being chosen as the first sport artist of the year. So these are uh, different things. So it says here, item number seven, the story, and we're talking about the short story, describes a cosmic duel of good, as represented by angels, and evil, as represented by demons, including Lucifer. But rather than traditional elements of combat and the associated horrors, a game of astral basketball is used to decide the fate of mankind. On information and belief, the story reflects the first instance where a basketball game is used to decide the fate of mankind's soul. So this is basically saying this is the very first time ever in, in fiction that basketball is the form of combat. So no golden fiddles were deciding the fate of, of mankind through basketball, and they, they contend that this is the first story that does that. The games use a luminous, transparent sphere as the ball, and the face of the person whose fate is to be decided by a given shot would be reflected in the sphere, and the astral players absorbed the skills of human basketball players. Story goes on to describe a tall, lanky, dark brown figure wearing the colors of the Chicago Bulls. This player, a young African American athlete named Danny Doodazzle Dakins, is able to dribble down court through a full court press applied by the Boston Boston Celtics, rather, weaving through the defenders with a nifty combination of dribbling techniques. Then, as he approached the basket, he soared into the air like a black falcon, arms outspread 
the ball held firmly in his right hand and sinking the shot after drawing an ill-timed leap from the defender. By the end of the Bulls versus Celtics game, Dakins had scored 48 points and won the game, including a shot where he leaped over Larry Bird's outstretched arms, dumping the shot and Bird in one motion. His game-winning shot at the buzzer left Celtics forward Larry Bird sprawled on the floor. Now, this was published before Michael Jordan joined the Chicago Bulls. He joined the Chicago Bulls in 1984. Later that year, this story was out already, as if, if I understand the timeline right. So, item number 11. As told in the story, the Devils, and Lucifer in particular, wanted Dakin's basketball-playing abilities. Dakin's, on the other hand, wanted to save the soul of a character under Lucifer's control. To settle this dispute, Dakin's challenged Lucifer to a basketball game, and Lucifer accepted. If Lucifer won, Dakin's soul would have headed for hell, and Lucifer would absorb Dakin's basketball abilities. Why the devil needs basketball abilities, I couldn't tell you. If Dakin's won, he would have saved the soul of Yvonne Brown, who was under Lucifer's control. Nothing in the story compelled Dakin's to risk his soul for another, but under Lowe's direction, Dakin's chose to put himself on the line for the greater good. So there are elements of Chicago in this story. They're going through all of this. And after the story was published, Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrod talked to him, optioned the movie rights. And Harrison Weingrod are the writers for the movie Trading Places. Expressed interest in optioning the story. In particular, Harrison Weingrod explained that Eddie Murphy, the star in Trading Places, was interested in making another movie and they thought the story would be a good fit. Harrison Weingrod twice optioned the movie rights for the story. Each option period was for six months. Lowe was paid, paid approximately 3000 for each option. Harrison Weingart later explained that Eddie Murphy decided to make a movie called Beverly Hills Cop and was not presently available to take on the story as another project. After the options expired, Lowe did not hear from Harris or Weingart again. See, now... If I was if I was completely on board doing my Nick Ricada uh, impression here, going through and reading all of this legal document, I would have whiskey here or scotch or or some alcoholic beverage, but I just have coffee. That's okay. Ricada can be Ricada. Nobody can be Ricada. So as this goes through here, you have uh, you have Space Jam coming out. Screenplay for Space Jam was written, among others, by Harris and Weingrod. As in the story, the short story, Space Jam focuses on a battle between the forces of good, the Looney Tunes, and evil, the Monstars. And as in the story, that battle is resolved over a game of basketball. In both story and Space Jam, a luminous, glowing basketball is used. The glow represents the soul of basketball players in the story, the powers of basketball players in Space Jam. It is through the luminous, glowing basketball that the astral players in Space Jam absorb the powers of professional basketball players, as did the astral players in the short story. 
The story of the glow of the basketball represented the fate of the soul in Space Jam, the basketball-playing abilities of NBA stars, and in both the story and Space Jam, a basketball player's skills are absorbed before that player dies. And it goes through, the rest of this is detailing out various different similarities, uh, very striking similarities between Space Jam and this short story. The lead character... Um, the idea of the devil being in charge of the, of the, the, uh, the bad guys, I guess. And he's basically saying, you guys stole this idea. You had it, you optioned it, you paid me for the idea to start with, and then the option lapsed, which means you no longer have the right to the story. And then they come out and they do a movie that's essentially the same story. Uh, that's 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 Mr. Lowe's contention. So <clears throat> it is one of these things where they're saying you violated copyright because uh, Lowe had a copyright on the story because it came out in 1984. He had a copyright on it in 19. What did it say? 1989 is when he got the copyright. And this movie didn't come out till 96. So there's plenty of time there. And, and the appendix here, Exhibit 1, is the actual story as it appeared in Playboy magazine. So, so this is interesting that this, this comes out now because Space Jam 2 is coming out soon. We have the Warner Discovery mess that's that's been going on. The news that the merger is coming out and AT and T is is getting out of that, and then this drops. And the biggest question that I have is why now? Why would this lawsuit be filed in 2021? And not back in 1996 or whenever, you know, whenever the, you know, it made sense more uh, to come out. I, I, I need to, I need to know more. I need to know more about this. So I'm curious. Why is this becoming a thing now as opposed to 20 years ago? 15 years ago. When, when was 96? 15 years ago? 25? No. 96, 2021 minus 1996. I've only had two cups of coffee this morning. Stay with me here for a second. Um, minus 25 years ago. Why does it, why does it come up now? That's my biggest question. Did something happen between then and now that makes it now more tenable to file this lawsuit. Did they file a lawsuit back then, and is this just a continuation of an attempt to get some kind of redress for damages? I, I'm curious about this one because uh, I, may, I, may, I may look into this a little bit more because... I'm, I'm wondering why. Uh, I wonder why this is going on. I may reach out to uh, 
to a Holly Lowe Jones and see if we can find out some more information on this. But this is this is interesting. Whatever you have, and, and this is not the first time that something like this uh, has happened. And there's there's legal actions that are taken in some cases where you have people that sit there and go, "Hey, you stole my idea." And there's lawsuits and there's settlements and there's challenges and that sort of thing. And copyright infringement is real tough to prove a lot of times because there are only so many different ways that you can combine elements into stories. And I have run across this myself a couple of times with regard to uh, different Star Trek stories that I'd started to write. Uh, I did, when I was in college... Star Trek The Next Generation was one of the sh- one of the few shows, well, it was, at the time it was the only show, that had an open submission policy, which means basically you don't have to have an agent to submit a script. If you don't have an agent, you can submit up to two scripts on spec, and if we like it, we buy it, and if we don't like it, we won't. And so I had this idea for a script but well before they did anything. I had this idea where disaster would strike the Enterprise and Deanna Troy would end up in command of the ship, something we had not seen up until that point. And I wrote the first draft, thought it was pretty good, put it in a drawer for whatever reason, and it sat for a year. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get that out and I'm going to finish it. So I went back in, I rewrote it, because, you know, at that time, now we had Ensign Rowe and uh, different different cast members were there. So rewrote it for the current cast, sent it in. And as soon as I finished it, they had an episode where the Enterprise hits a cosmic string and Picard's injured and the ship is damaged and Deanna Troy is left in command of the ship. And it came out before they would have got, before I sent the, the script that I'd written. So I know they didn't steal my idea. I also had an idea that would have data, now that he has his emotion chip, feeling a little bit melancholy and maudlin because we're coming up on the anniversary of Tasha Yar's death. And Data can't take it. And he has an overload. His emotion chip gets the better of him. And he decides to take this rash action and use the Guardian of Forever to go back and rescue Tasha Yar just before she's supposed to die at that Romulan prison camp. From yesterday's Enterprise, you know, when she goes off into this other tangent and timeline. (coughs) And I had the outline started... And Peter David comes out with Imzadi, which essentially does same kind of thing with an older Admiral William Riker going back to save Deanna Troy from being poisoned at a diplomatic conference. Same kind of idea. Guardia forever, time travel, rescue the woman you love. Peter David doesn't know who I am. He's never seen my outline. 
these kind of things happen. This, this, this happens every now and again where you have people who are interested in a franchise, interested in a certain particular type of story, and they say, what if? And the odds are better than monkeys writing Shakespeare that somebody else is going to have an idea that's similar to the one that you have. Because depending on how detailed you get, the ideas can't be copyrighted. An idea, well, you know, using time travel to rescue a loved one who's fated for death. That's pretty generic. And Star Trek is not the only one that has done that. Star Trek's not the only one that's used time travel. Time travel is, is in various different forms in different movies and TV shows and books and comic books and video games. So it's not the, the idea, the concept itself. It's a particular arrangement of elements is where you start to get a little crossways on this. And reading this complaint, it would seem that Mr. Lowe may have a case. Now, I am not a lawyer. I don't even pretend to be an armchair lawyer. I don't know enough about copyright law on any of this, but just on the surface, I'm reading this and the similarities are striking between the two. Between the Doodazzle short story and Space Jam. But again, that goes back to, if this is the case, that Space Jam is a ripoff of this short story, and you have a copyright violation, if you, if you can make a case for that, why now? Why now, rather than in 1996? What's gone different now from then. And I'm curious about that. I may actually reach out and see if we can get her on uh, for an interview during, uh, during Good Morning Multiverse because I'm curious about this. And we don't have a Good Morning Multiverse this Saturday, so I may try to get something set up for the week after because uh, I would like to know more. Because this is uh, this is some some curious similarities between these two. I need to I need to actually sit and read the the short story itself just to have more information. But um, yeah, most curious, most curious. All right, so there is that. Um, okay, so let's go through the rest of the week because. This is going to be an odd duck week-ish because of the holidays. So let me give you a, a few programming notes. Tonight, we have a brand new H2O podcast, normal, the same as, as regular. As, as far as I know, Mr. Harvey hasn't said there and said we can't do one yet. So I'm assuming we're doing one tonight. 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. And then tomorrow night, like we said, uh, we've got a new Salacious Crumbs with uh, the latest Star Wars news. 
I need to look and see what we're going to be doing. I don't think we'll have a ranker pit on Thursday because uh, Mrs. Boss and I are going to be out. And then we will not have uh, a Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday, and we will not have Foreign Bodies on Saturday afternoon. And we will not have Live from the Bunker on Thursday or Monday and Tuesday of next week. So, uh, so also next Monday, no H2O Monday night. So that's where we're going to do. And I will post all of this over on social media so everybody knows uh, what's going on when. And we'll post some various different reminders throughout the weekend uh, just to make sure that everybody's up to speed. In the meantime, there are plenty of other videos for uh, everybody to check out here on the channel. And I would like to encourage all of you to sign up over on Odyssey and follow us there uh, just because that's uh, an option that we are the, we are exploring. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Tom over at Odyssey who's been very good at answering all of my questions and giving feedback and taking what I've what I've been dealing with with the live stream on Odyssey and giving him information and he gives me information back. It's been a very good back and forth discussion there trying to improve that because they're still in beta. And since we've been using it a lot, I've been sending him a lot of, of feedback. Hey, this, I ran into this. What does it mean? This happened here. Why is it doing this? Why can't you do this? Is there a reason why X happens instead of this? So as, as we're going through this, there are things that are about to roll out, improvements in the tools, improvements in the platform, some different things that they've got ready to deploy here in the next couple of weeks, I think are going to improve that that platform as a, as a whole over on Odyssey. So do find us over there. Uh, Odyssey is spelled O-D-Y-S-E-E.com. Uh, and you can find Sci-Fi for me there as well. As all of the other social media platforms and accounts and whatnot, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest is all cosplay all the time. So if you're into cosplay, uh, you can check out our Pinterest boards. Uh, we're on uh, um, the alternate social media accounts, MeWe, Minds, Gabs, Parlor. Uh, we do have a Discord set up. We do have a Locals set up, although I haven't done anything with those yet because I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do with those yet. I'm not sure that I'm going to do anything with them yet, but I just I, I parked an account there so nobody else could have could take the name. So they're kind of placeholders at this point. And then, of course, we're over on Twitch as well. And it looks like we've got 91 followers on Twitch. We go to we go to 100. We're going to kick up the the watch parties again. So uh, follow us on Twitch. Not doing a whole lot of streaming over there. <coughs> Excuse me, because I went back and reread some of the terms and conditions and and such, and uh, it doesn't quite work for simulcast broadcast like we do here because we we send this particular show and and all of our live stuff goes not only to YouTube, but also Facebook and Odyssey all at once. And we're not able to send it to Twitch because Twitch would like to have exclusive rights to our streaming content for the first 24 hours. So we had to figure out something different there. So as we go through, we continue to make adjustments. We continue to uh, to tweak and, and uh, 
modify our plan and our process here. And feedback from you is welcome as well, either in live chat when you're here uh, with us uh, during a broadcast, or you can leave comments or you can send us email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. We read all of the feedback. We read all of the notes, all of the comments, uh, everything that, uh, that people send our way. And we do appreciate the interaction. We appreciate the, 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 the participation because how you see what we're doing here and the kind of things that you like and don't like help us make what we do here better. So, uh, so your feedback is welcome at all times. And uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here. We will be here tomorrow with Captain Stephen Machuga of, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, of the, uh, the nonprofit organization Stack Up. And then on Wednesday, Douglas Ernst will be back. It's been a year since we've talked to him about cancel culture and comics and such. But we're going to talk a little bit about crowdfunding his, uh, his new Soul Finder book has just been released here not too long ago, so we're going to catch up with him on Wednesday. And then no show on Thursday, no shows throughout the weekend, and we'll be back for this program next Wednesday. So all of that's coming up. We do hope you uh, tune in to the H2O podcast tonight, and we'll be back tomorrow with more here live from the bunker. Remember, there are four Lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 